Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast with lead pastor Don Headley. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that he gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. Guys, we are in a series entitled Better, and we've been talking over the last couple of weeks about how to win at home. Uh, My name is Don. I'm the lead pastor here at Mountain View Fellowship, and I'm just thrilled to uh, be sharing this with you today. This whole uh, series has kind of led us to this place of, of this week and next week. And so we're kind of summarizing everything. We're going to land the plane to, uh, today and next week. And so I hope that you're, you're here not just for this week, but you'll come back next week as well. So grab your Bibles, head over to Philippians chapter 4 with me. Pastor Tim read a, a, just a first portion of it, but we're going to be in that passage all morning. So uh, Philippians chapter 4, go to verses 4 through 9. Now, if you haven't been with us, we started this whole series off talking about Lego houses. And we talked about the fact that we have... Um, this, this idea of what life is going to look like, whether it's our home, whether it's our own life, whether it's relationships, marriage, parenting, whatever it is, we have this idea. And you may not have written it down. You may not have verbalized it, but you had an idea. And the honest truth is this. It never turns out like that. It never does. It always turns out different, messed up. Uh, we take detours along the way, whether it's... Um, you know, illness, whether it's divorce, whether it's just a brokenness in our home, whatever it is, it's broken people trying to do life together. It never turns out perfect. And yet in that moment, we're always frustrated by that. And what we told you in week one is that no matter what it is and no matter how broken it is, if you hand it to God, he can redeem anything. And so we encourage you to lean into God uh, for your home, for your marriage, for everything. Week two, we talked about foundational issues. And we said, many of us are building our homes on the wrong things. And we need to build it on the one thing that is not, is not shakable, which is Jesus Christ. If we build our foundation on God, then we will stand firm. If you build it on anything else, you always run the risk of everything crumbling down around you at any given moment. Uh, on the third week, we talked about circles. And when we said circles, we were just talking about circles of influence. The people that we have in our lives, uh, maybe in the lives of our kids, that influence them. And we need to be careful about what those circles are made up of. And then uh, we talked about glowing rectangles the following week. Just talking about phones, right? Our phones, the impact that our phones have on us. Uh, not only our phones, but social media. And then last week, Pastor Mike did an excellent job of talking about synaptic pruning, this idea that not just us, but even our kids, we have this ability to be able to decide what we keep and what we get rid of when it comes to our synapses, this idea that we can reinforce the things in our kids that are important so that they maintain those, those ideas, those thoughts, and that's so critical for us as we, as we grow and, and get older. Um, now, today, I want to talk to you about a God-centric life. All of that is kind of leading us to this place, and this is, this is um, the foundation. This is what I want so many of you to grab a hold of today, and I'm, I'm just going to say it this way. I've tried to figure out how to say it and not say it incorrectly, because honestly, for old people like me, it's important too. I'm not saying it's not important for the old people, but for the young people in the room, this is critical, because the, the younger you can learn this lesson, the better off your life is going to be the more stable you're going to be, 
the less stress and worry you're going to have in life, the more peace you're going to have, the more strength you'll have. The, and it's incredible. So those of you that have young kids or, or maybe even just young people in the room, you're just starting off in life. If you can get this today, it will change your life, change your life for the better. Uh, you guys just sang a song. You said, I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you alone, and I will not be shaken. You were worshiping. I, I heard you. Uh, Tim uh, backed away from the mic, and, and man, we could just hear you singing, and you were worshiping. You were raising your hands. My question is, did you believe it? You were worshiping. You were singing it, but do you really believe it? Let me ask you, what role does God play in your life? Is he really your foundation? Or is this just what we do on Sundays? Uh, is he sitting on the throne of your life? Or is he uh, more like you're on the throne and he's just an advisor when you call him in and you need his help? Now, uh, I, I liken this to food because I, I like food. This is what I do all the time. And so um, this is what I believe that we do so often in life. Um, I believe that life for many of us is um, more like a waffle, all right? Uh, I think for many of us, we, we live life just like this. Uh, we've got these nice little squares, these nice little compartments for everything. Uh, life, um, relationship, marriage, work, finances, everything's got its own little compartment. And what's amazing, if we're talking about God being our, the syrup, right? Um, we, and, and I had to get maple syrup since we're talking about God this morning. So, uh, like, we're going to put him in this square right here. And we're going to keep him in that square. Because I, I don't want him to permeate any of these other areas because this is mine over here. And I know that if he, if he leaks into this area over here, I might have to do something differently and I don't want to do that. And, and so often I think this is the way that we live our lives. That's not a God-centric life. That, that's not even a disciple of Jesus' life. That, that's just an add-on. And if we're honest, many of us, this is the way we live our lives. Like this is a Sunday thing for some of us. God is just, eh, I'll pray when I need him, but he really doesn't take a, foc a focal point in my life. He's not the central part of my life. Now, what I want to encourage you to do, even, even the flies like my pancakes, um, what I want to encourage you to do is get out of the waffle life, and I want you to get into this um, pancake life, because here's what happens with pancakes. Poor, and you guys know this, some of you like it because of that. Some of you don't like it because of that, but when you uh, pour your syrup on your pancake, it doesn't take very long, does it? And it starts to soak it up. Like, it, it just soaks into everything pretty soon, and, and I like it because, man, I love a lot of syrup uh, and a lot of butter. I'm from the South, and so we, we just smother it on and just let it sink in, and by the time you start cutting into that pancake, it is saturated with syrup, and I, that, that's the type of life that I'm talking about this morning. This God-centric life means that God has, has saturated everything in your life. He takes a, a center role in everything that you do, your conversations, your relationships, your finances, your job. It doesn't matter what it is. Your parenting, God comes first, and he saturates every area of our life. And, and the reason for this and why it's so important is because I think for many of us, we don't understand that direction determines destination, like we say we want to go to a certain place. We want this to happen in our lives. We definitely want our lives to honor God. We want our families to honor God. We want to raise kids to know Jesus. We want a solid foundation for our lives. And yet, 
we haven't even set the course. If you were going on a trip somewhere tomorrow, you would actually punch it into your GPS and you would lay out a course. Like if you're headed to Phoenix, you're not going to start by going towards Milwaukee. That doesn't make any sense. But yet in life, this is what we do. We go, uh, we want to go to Phoenix, but we'll just make it up as we go. And somehow we end up in New Jersey. And we're going, why, why did this happen? How did we end up here? And you don't realize that direction determines destination. And a God-centric life is no different. It requires attitude. And attitude begins with a choice. And you have to make a, a commitment I'm going to go in this direction, and this is what we're going to do with our lives. We are going to live our lives with God at the center of it. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Some translations say, Seek first his kingdom. If you're going to be God-centric in your life, you have to live according to that truth. All of our decisions need to flow out of that, that God will be central. He will be um, at the center of all the decisions in every relationship in our marriage, and God is going to be the focus of everything that we do. If you say that, then you got to make that commitment, then you got to start living by it, and then everything flows out of that. Why? Because direction determines destination. Now, I want to read this text today, and I want to see what it says about the direction that we should be going in. Philippians chapter 4, if you're there, we're starting in verse... It says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. Now, what I want us to do this morning is break this down a little bit so we can get a grip on what God is trying to teach us through this writing that Paul, as Pastor Tim told us earlier, Paul is writing from prison, and he's, he's laying it out like he's given us what is important in life. And I want us to see if there's some truth in here that might help make our lives better, might help us win at home. Um, going back to verse 4, it says, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. If you want to live a God-centric life, the first lesson that that Paul's trying to teach us here is that you need to find your joy in the Lord. you got to find your joy in the Lord. People that do this, that that they have um, just this happiness, these are those people that... um, I don't know, they, they just seem to be happy all the time. Not, not stupid happy. I'm not talking about like drunk, you know, punch drunk. I'm talking about like, you know, just they have this, this happiness that flows out of them. They're joyful people. And you're like, man, life is kind of crazy right now. And they're like, isn't life great? And you're like, what is wrong with you, right? Those types of people, you know, all know who I'm talking about. They, they have this, this ability um, to not take offense, not give offense, their minds just have this sweet, they're sweetly occupied with this higher calling in their life. 
They're not distracted by all the little things that are going on in life. They just seem to have this, this foundation, and, and it's, it's hard to get to, especially if you don't know Christ. You're just looking at them going, I don't know what's wrong with those people. And the honest truth is nothing's wrong with them. They're actually the ones that are getting it right. See, because joy in the Lord is the cure for discord in our life. It, it rises above And so let me ask you on a very, very personal level, what is your joy rooted in? And I mean rooted in. You have to answer this for yourself. Remember, you need to set direction. You need to establish for yourself, make commitments. What is my joy going to be rooted in this morning? And I want to encourage you that your joy needs to be rooted in the Lord. What is your joy rooted in? Is it your boyfriend, your girlfriend? Is it your pets? And you know who you are because you kiss your pets on the mouth and post pictures. Um, what about um, your identity? Is your joy rooted in the next level in that video game that you're playing? Or in the addiction when you're able to jump into that and really submerge yourself in it? Or, or maybe um, how many likes you get on social media, your job, or whatever your influencer says that you're supposed to get your joy out of, your car, or your house, or your pursuit of a perfect life. What is your joy rooted in. And now am I saying that you can't get joy out of those things? No, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that your joy shouldn't be rooted in those things. Why? Because those things change. They go away. They vanish. What is your joy rooted in? And if you have to say anything other than God or Jesus, then the Bible actually tells us that that now has become an idol in our life. We are starting to pursue something else other than God. And Scripture is very clear about this. God is the one that we need to be pursuing. Seek first his kingdom. Um, I want you to root your joy in something that isn't conditional. Something that doesn't change or fade or vanish. And the only thing that is the same yesterday, today, and will be the same forever is God himself. Now, there is another advantage if you can learn how to do this. When, when you place your joy in the Lord, when it's rooted in the Lord, you find yourself rejoicing. That's what the scripture says. And again, I say rejoice, right? We find ourselves rejoicing when our joy is rooted in the Lord. Why? Because he doesn't change. Because with everything else spiraling out of control and, and you know, crazy things going on in the world around us, we can still rejoice. What does rejoice mean? I looked it up this week. Um, the dictionary actually says rejoice is, I love this, calmly happy. It's a great phrase, calmly happy. It says well off or cheerful. I think that's kind of appropriate with the holidays rolling up, right? Um, You want to be cheerful? You want to be calmly happy? You know how you do that? You place your joy in the Lord. You root it in him and nothing else. Verse 6, it goes on to say, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. So we find our joy in the Lord. And then number two, we overcome worry with prayer. And did you catch it? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Um, If you're worried here this morning, if you're riddled with anxiety, let me just say this. You are not alone. And I don't mean not alone like everyone else worries. I mean you're not alone because Jesus is with you. He has not left you. Jesus is right here. He says he'll never forsake you and he'll never leave you. And if you're riddled with worry, if you're struggling with anxiety this morning, let me just encourage you and say that you need to have a talk with him. And what that's called is just prayer. You need to spend some time in prayer. This is one of the ways that we overcome our worry. The challenges that we're facing so often can shred us from the inside out with anxiety. 
Some of you, you're, you're, you're struggling with things. You're, you're facing challenges that you think are so overwhelming. Like you just can't, you can't even imagine getting through it. And you think because it overwhelms you that it overwhelms God. And you need to know this morning that Jesus is never overwhelmed. Listen to me. If the cross didn't overwhelm Jesus, then your problems won't either. He can handle it. You need to go to him in prayer and give those things to him. And here's what's interesting. He'll give you a peace that makes no sense. And that peace is going to guard your hearts, which is our emotion, and it guards our minds, which is what our thoughts, and that's where a lot of those worries and a lot of the, that anxiety comes from in the first place. That's why it says he'll give you the peace that will guard your heart and mind, so you don't find yourself in this cycle all the time. God wants you to become like those other people we were talking about earlier that just kind of seem to kind of go through life, and they have this, this confidence and this foundation that doesn't... Um, doesn't um, go away with changing times. David understood this when he wrote, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You know what the shadow of death is? You ever, you ever been in the shadow of death before? I know some of you have. Um, how scary is that, right? And he's like, look, even, even though I find myself in the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because I got a plan, I got it all figured out? No, because you are with me, because God is with me. We overcome worry with prayer, but we also overcome worry with thanksgiving as well. What does it mean to, be thanks, to give thanks? It just means to stop and to praise God for everything that he's done, to recognize that his hand is at work in your life, and then praise him for it, to re- return that, that, uh, that blessing with praise, with thanksgiving of just saying, God, thank you so much for all that you've done. And I talk to so many people, and when we have these, these kind of conversations, I'm like, okay, so what has God done in your life lately? What, what do you have to be thankful for? And you know what I get a lot of the time? I don't know. I don't, and nothing, nothing, right? And that's a struggle for us because we take so much for granted, I'm just going to make a blanket statement. Every one of us in this room, we are taking so much for granted. You are blessed beyond anything you could ever imagine. You have so much to be thankful for. Some of you are going through it. you got some hard things happening in your life and your family, and you think you have nothing to be thankful for. Let me just tell you, all you need to do is travel outside the country for a little bit, and you'll come back with a different perspective. Talk to somebody sitting in one of the sections next to you and you'll have a different perspective. You have so much to be thankful for. Uh, We've got a a family in this church who their grown daughter is going through some serious illness and so much so uh, that they've had to amputate all four of her limbs. She's going through therapy to learn how to do life over again and she sent me a video this week and it was just, it was amazing She's been going through therapy, and she's learning to go from the bed to this specially made uh, wheelchair. And she did it this week without any help. And in that moment, in that mom's videotaping, this is what she sent me, she is so happy and so elated to be able to move from the bed to a wheelchair. And I kept watching it, and I was just convicted God, you've blessed me so much. I get out of bed every morning and I stand up on my own two feet and I forget to praise you and thank you for what I have. We take so much for granted. 
You have so much to be thankful for. This is why we come on Sundays and worship like this. To thank God for the blessings. Even the stuff you and I take for granted. The stuff we overlook. We got Thanksgiving right around the corner. We have an opportunity to come and thank God for an entire year of blessings. I hope that you're here. Wednesday night, just before Thanksgiving, come in here at 6 o'clock. We're doing blessing bags, 7 o'clock. Uh, we're going to be worshiping. We're going to have open mic. We're going to share kind of what God has done in our lives this year. I hope that you come for that. Why? Because this is how we overcome worry. This is how we overcome anxiety and stress. It's through prayer and thanksgiving. It goes on in verse 8 to say, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. We find our joy in the Lord. We overcome worry with prayer and thanksgiving, and then we protect our mind. You've got to protect your mind. It says, let your mind dwell on these things. This last week, what was your mind dwelling on? Was it stuff that was true and honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, or was it other stuff? What were you allowing your mind to dwell on? This is so critical because we we don't understand that what consumes our thoughts controls our lives. This is why this waffle life doesn't work. You got to let it saturate your mind. Word and praise and remembering what God has done in your life and bringing back to mind what he's done, how he's blessed you and celebrating and and thanking him for those things. What what consumes your thoughts controls your life. This is why we talked about phones and and social just a few weeks ago. It's why Pastor Mike spent some uh, some time on it last week. We often tell you, we just challenge you, to record the amount of time that you spend uh, in the Word of God as opposed to watching the news. See which one weighs out and then, and then ask yourself, is this why I feel the way that I do? How much time do you spend in the Word as opposed to with certain people? How much time do you pr- spend in prayer as opposed to social media? Log those things and I think it will answer a lot of questions for you. Because I think some of us are more influenced by social media than we are the Word of God. Some of us are, are more influenced by people in our lives than we are by God himself. And we wonder why we're struggling. Now, if your joy is rooted in the Lord and, and you overcome worry with, praise and thanks, with prayer and thanksgiving, and you protect your mind, what's the result of all of that? If you have a God-centric life, what is the result of of that. Seven and nine. Verse seven says this, then you will experience God's what? Then you will experience God's, man, some of y'all need to claim this this morning. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His what? Peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Putting, verse nine, Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. You know what the result of a God-centric life is? It's peace. What do we need more of in 2022? Peace. Crazy times. We're losing our minds. We need more peace. You want peace? Live a God-centric life. 
And God will grant this peace to you. Peace is a result of, of having your joy rooted in, in the Lord, uh, of overcoming worry with prayer and thanksgiving and protecting your mind. It says a few things there. It says peace beyond our comprehension. Um, those are those believers that can lose a job or they can experience a setback. They can go through a horrible circumstance and yet they still stand strong and they still have this, this peace and this joy in their life that doesn't make any sense to us. That's those people. Um, we want to be those type of people. If you want to be that type of person, it comes from a God-centric life. It says, peace will guard your hearts and minds. Worry and anxiety wreck our hearts and minds and then they wreck our lives. That's how that works. But that peace protects our hearts and our minds. And then it says, as we live in Christ and practice everything we've learned and received, um, that implies to me that we have a responsibility. Like it's our responsibility to learn and to live this life out, to be in the word and to actually try to live it out, to implement it in our lives. Um, This is a picture of a God-centric life. Philippians 4, what Paul is writing out is this idea that we live our lives for Christ by finding our joy in him, by overcoming worry with prayer and thanksgiving, by protecting our minds, and by living a life that exhibits peace. But yet there's another benefit that we see in here as well. If you continue to read verses 11 through 13, it says this, not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing and with everything. I've learned the secret in living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Uh, Another benefit to a God-centric life is contentment. You find yourself satisfied. If you don't know what contentment is, it's the state of satisfaction It's this peaceful happiness that comes no matter what you have, no matter where you're at, no matter what's going on in life. And for some of you, you think that's completely inconceivable. Like you can't even imagine that. But I promise you this. If you live a God-centric life and you find that contentment, you will like you better. I remember when I was younger, so discontent with everything. Not only did I drive myself crazy and cause a lot of worry and stress in my own life, but I drove my wife crazy, and I didn't even realize it. And we finally got to this place where we were like, okay, God, whatever you want, it's yours. We found contentment, and there was peace that entered into our home that we never had before. We began to focus on the things that were important, and the stuff that wasn't, we started to let those things go. It was amazing the difference. I promise you, you will like you better, and here's the other thing, the people around you will like you better as well. Contentment will change you. Paul says that he's learned to be content in whatever circumstance. Now, can I just say it this way? What he's implying there is that contentment doesn't come naturally. You realize that discontentment and jealousy are part of our sinful, broken nature? You have to learn that. You have to lean into God for that. You have to to really work to be contented. Um, It's interesting that the 10th commandment out of the 10 commandments is don't covet. Like, God thought it was important enough to add it. It's number 10. Let's put that in there because I know what it's going to do to their lives. It's going to wreck them. We need to say, don't be content. I'm sorry, don't covet, which means be content. Don't harbor a desire for someone else's possessions, spouse, or property. Don't don't get into that stuff because it will wreck your life. 
Uh, Ephesians 5.3 says, Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Don't covet. Be content with what you have. God has blessed you. He gives you just what you need when you need it. And so often we look at that and, and we read, well, I can do all things through Christ. And, and we, we misunderstand that. That's not talking about how hard of a hit that you can take. It's talking about how hard you can get hit and in the strength of God, continue to move forward in life. That's what that means. That doesn't mean that you know, everything's going to be perfect. It means things are going to get crazy sometimes. And it's not going to go your way and, and life is going to get messy. And in that moment, it doesn't matter because God is the root of our joy and, and we don't have to worry because we can give it to God through prayer and thanksgiving and we can protect our minds and we can lean into him and we can be content. We can rejoice because God has been good to us even in this difficult time. When we learn to be content and we lean into the power of God, we can stand strong on God through circumstances that are designed to bring us to our knees. You can stand strong in that. Direction determines destination. Have you set a direction? I know some of you, you said, I know the destination, I know what we want to be. But have you set the destination, uh, the direction? Because the direction determines destination. Um, I love the story of Joshua. Joshua um, was second in command behind Moses. Moses, uh, if you know the Old Testament story, leads them out of Egypt. They wander in the wilderness. They come to the promised land. And um, Moses passes away. And before he passes away, he passes the baton of leadership on to Joshua. And God strengthens Joshua. He becomes this great, great military leader. And he leads the entire nation of Israel. And as he leads them in, he has them commit themselves to God. And there's multiple times through Joshua's leadership where he stands up in front of the people, he would gather them, and he said, we're going to commit this day. And it was incredible. I think it was important that they continued to do that. Today, we're going to build a monument so that we don't forget this. God, um, God has done amazing things. Let's remember this. And, and there's times when he'd gather the people and say, we're going to remember this moment, or we have to remember this. And, and he gets into the promised land. He leads them through this amazing campaign. They take over the promised land. And then he brings all the people together. And in Joshua chapter 24, there's this amazing scene where all the people come together. And he gives the speech, and he says... Follow God if you want things to go well with you. If you turn away from him, bad things are going to happen. He'll just let you have whatever it is that you want, and it's not going to go well for you, but follow God. And in this moment, what he's doing is he's causing them to come to a place of decision. And he says in this moment, you have to decide for yourself. But the statement that he makes is, but as for me... And my house or my family, we will serve the Lord. And on that day, they had to make a decision. And I think it's appropriate for us today to come to a point of decision. And so here's what I want to do. I want to end this way. Would you go ahead and stand with it? Just have everyone stand. If today you realize you're living a waffle life, like, God is not center in your life. He's not central. You, you, you've just kind of tucked him into a corner, and you only call on him when you need him. 
I want you to commit today that you're not going to do that any longer, that you're going to make him the center of your life. Uh, Some of you, you've never received Christ. Today is the day to do that. Um, If you don't know how to do that, please talk to the person that invited you or come see me or one of the pastors. We'd be happy um, to help you make that decision today. Uh, Some of you, um, you're married and life has not been good because you have kept God out of your marriage. And it's time to make him the center of your marriage. Some of you in your parenting, Christ needs to come first. Uh, Whatever it is for you, uh, nobody's going to ask you. This is between you and God, as it should be. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If today you are making the decision, you're making the declaration like Joshua did, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Uh, Would you just raise your hand and keep it up because I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now, hands raised. God, we declare in this moment, in this place, that you are Lord of all. Lord, come in, have your way. And Lord, for each hand in this room, I pray whether it's just a life or um, a marriage, a family, a home, whatever it is, um, would you just come in and take your rightful place on the throne of our lives, Lord? We commit this to you. We ask that from this moment on, that you would be central, that you would take um, the throne, that you would be the focus of everything that we do and say. God, as we make decisions, as we lead our families, as we love our spouses, as we love the world around us, would you just please move in a mighty way? God, we declare here today that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We offer this up to you. We pray that this is a pleasing sacrifice, an aroma to you. And Lord, I pray that you would just do mighty supernatural things in each of these lives this week. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people agreed and said, amen.